Islamic Medical Association of South Africa presents Medical Files. On January the 10th between 8 and 9 p.m., join me, your host, Dr. Arshad Bayat, and my guest, Dr. Randri, who will be discussing the big four, chronic diseases and how to lessen the impact during Ramadan. We are an interactive show, so please feel free to WhatsApp any questions, queries, or doubts that you may have regarding your condition and fasting. And inshallah, we will endeavor to answer them. Welcome to Medical Files, brought to you by the Islamic Medical Association of South Africa. Welcome once again to all the radio stations who are listening to us today. We have Radio Al-Ansar listeners, Channel Islam International. Radio Islam, Voice of the Cape, Radio 786, Sirius FM and IFM from Port Elizabeth. A warm welcome to one and all of you. It's Monday, the 10th of January, 2023. And uh, we have our guest here with us today, uh, who is uh, Dr. Hussein Randeri, physician, specialist endocrinologist at Parkland's Hospital. No stranger to the airwaves. Uh, As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaykum as-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa so, uh, without further ado, today we will be discussing the impacts of the big four. We mentioned the big four chronic diseases, which is uh, your hypertension, your diabetes, your epilepsy, and asthma. And uh, like uh, we discussed before and many years before as well uh, about the seriousness of uh, these conditions, but uh, if the proper care is taken and the proper preparation is done before Ramadan, then uh, it shouldn't be a problem, inshallah. So, uh, Doc, would like to introduce yourself again? Jazakullah. Assalamu alaikum to all the listeners. Uh, I'm Dr. Hussain Renzi, an endocrinologist as pointed out, uh, based in Parkins Hospital in Durban. And uh, we uh, are going to focus on these four major conditions, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, epilepsy and asthma. Mm -hmm. And we would like, as you pointed out, as interactive a session as possible. And feel free to ask the questions, the queries that you have uh, around how to manage these conditions generally, but also in particular as we prepare for the upcoming Ramadan. Yeah, just a reminder to the listeners that this is uh, an opportunity for all of you to, uh, you know, like we say, uh, do a pre-Ramadan test run and, you know, whatever doubts you have or any uh, questions that you may have to please uh, WhatsApp us and uh, we will try and answer that. But uh, basically what we are trying to do this to do now is to to get your condition under control before Ramadan starts. Basically to iron out all the little wiggles and problems that you have so that once Ramadan starts, inshallah, you will be in a, you know, in, in a good condition to, to carry on. Okay, so doc, uh, the pre-Ramadan assessment is very important. Uh, it's very important that the patients who are having uh, some sort of instability with the disease at the moment to iron it out, like it's, for example, those diabetics that are having a very high blood glucose of over 10 or those hypertensives who are not uh, having their uh, blood pressure under control, things like that. This is the time for them to, to do an assessment on themselves and to go and visit their GP. So how would a patient, uh, where would they start? What would the starting be? Okay, so that's a very important question. In all of these conditions, it's important that uh, one has a pre-Ramadan assessment. Now, mm -hmm. this doesn't uh, confine itself to Ram pre-Ramadan. I mean, you generally need to be well controlled. But mm -hmm. as you know, that when Ramadan is um, uh, about to arrive, everyone gets filled with a degree of religious uh, zeal and enthusiasm, looking forward mm -hmm. to partake in the Ramadan fast. And so that often is a stimulus for people to get their con chronic conditions under control. So, um, when, when we talk about, say for example, diabetes, the pre-Ramadan assessment should take place between six and eight weeks before Ramadan. So, we, we about the time now where a patient with, for example, diabetes or chronic condition should visit their general practitioner mm -hmm. or the specialist, whoever is looking after them, to try and get this pre-Ramadan assessment. Now, the pre Ramadan assessment is one uh, that has got many factors attached to it. The most important of that is really to do what is called a risk stratification. In other words, we know that as Muslims we are exempt 
from fasting under certain conditions and that is known especially if fasting with those chronic conditions is likely to harm you or to cause deterioration in your condition or an exacerbation of your condition then we have an exemption but as we know many a muslim is loath to take advantage of that mm-hmm. there is this intense passion and desire to fast uh, like everyone else is and to get the nearness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. and therefore many individuals who are, would otherwise have been given that concession don't really want to take that concession so uh, one aspect is to do the risk assessment to see whether it is safe for that individual to fast but even if the individual um, then despite medical advice chooses to fast it's best to advise them as best as you can, so you can mitigate some of that risk that occurs. Mm-hmm. So, in that period, Ramadan, Ramadan as I pointed out, is this risk stratification. Now, that has evolved over a few years, but just to give an idea, there is the international sort of diabetes alliance, it's called DA, Diabetes and Ramadan Alliance. Okay. It's part of the International Diabetes Federation. And that has brought together a group of Muslim doctors throughout the world, including South Africa, to try and formulate a kind of risk score to say where does this patient sit in terms of diabetes and, and, and the risk of fasting. So now, in that risk score would include many things, for example, how long the patient is diabetic, whether the patient is a type 1 on insulin or type 2 on oral agents, mm-hmm. uh, whether the patient has got complications, particularly cardiac, renal complications. I'll just give you some examples. Mm-hmm. Whether the person is prone to other complications in the recent past, you know, one of them is called diabetic ketoacidosis, mm-hmm. which is usually a life-threatening condition if not uh, managed correctly. Mm-hmm. Also, very important is hypoglycemia, which is, of course, a low blood sugar. Now, you know, it depends. Now, if the person does not have hypoglycemia, then the risk is low. But many individual has recurrent hypoglycemia more than a few times a week. And more importantly, some are not even aware that they are hypoglycemic. So they have what is called hypoglycemia unawareness. Then there's individuals who are older. Now, age itself is not a criterion to argue against fasting. As you know, many an elderly individual mm-hmm. above the age of 65, 70 is capable of fasting and does so very well without any complications. It depends on whether that individual has got associated chronic conditions, mm-hmm. debilitating conditions, what's their functional um, capacity, whether there's frailty associated with it. So, so age itself is not a criteria. And then, of course, very importantly, the treatment you're on. Because as you know, some drugs are able to um, act in such a way that they don't drop the blood sugar below normal. Whereas other agents like insulin, for example, can drop your sugar. So one of the key things in that pre-Ramadan assessment is the risk stratification. Uh, right. Uh, I can touch on other aspects, but as we go along, I'll elaborate on what else is done in that uh, pre-Ramadan assessment. Okay, thanks, Doc. So we're going to go to a quick uh, ad break now, but uh, please stay uh, with us because when we come back, we're going to be discussing uh, what uh, you need to do when you go to visit your GP and what uh, uh, investigations you need to ask him to do and things like that. Inshallah, we go to an ad break. For every child who lost a parent For every refugee who lost their home For every community without water For every person searching for a way to give Africa Muslims Agency has been at your service for 35 years Connecting hearts and changing lives Thank you for helping us to serve the needy since 1987 Support our journey by donating to Africa Muslims Agency as we commemorate 35 years of empowering, educating and inspiring. This holiday season, Albaraka Bank and Samsung gives you a chance of winning a share of 30,000 rand in weekly draws. To enter, follow, like and share Albaraka's competition posts on any social media platform. Register on the Albaraka mobile banking and Samsung Pay app and complete at least one transaction using the Samsung Pay app on your Samsung device. Enjoy your holidays with complete peace of mind as Albarica Bank gives you more secure ways to shop and a chance to win. win. Visit albarica.co.za today for all competition terms and conditions. Albarica, your partner bank. Albarica Bank Limited is an authorized financial services and credit provider. 
Avatar of how far the hope you've set out to give to the poor and vulnerable goes. With your unwavering support, you've helped Crescent of Hope turn hopeless situations around. Be it locally or abroad, from taking care of orphans, drilling water in drought-stricken areas, distribution of blankets, feeding schemes, disaster relief, drug rehabilitation, or education and dawah, the hope you help us restore in humanity is valuable beyond measure. Donate to Crescent of Hope and help change lives for the better. Contact 011-854-1809. Crescent of Hope, serving humanity for the pleasure of Allah. Radio Islam International, medium wave 1548. Phenologist, and uh, we busy discussing the pre-Ramadan assessment. So, Doc, you did mention that uh, we need to gauge uh, the severity of the disease and we need to know, uh, basically we need to know whether we can fast and we need to go for like a pre-race kind of test run. Uh, to find uh, to find out whether we are capable of doing it, so uh, this is a good opportunity now during uh, these months, these two months, especially in Shaban, for us to do our uh, practice fast because they not feel fast, and even if we do break them, uh, you know, it's not uh, not a sin as such, but at least we will know what our limitations are and uh, how far we can go, and then try and sort that out. Uh, what other you were talking about the pre-Ramzan assessment? What other things we need to do uh, supposing uh, I'm checking my HGT every day my levels and it's always above 10 or 11 I'm taking the medication as prescribed by the doctor I'm doing all the necessary things and what do I do do I go and see my GP do I do blood tests what's, what's the next step so important point is uh, of course as you know in the routine management of the diabetic uh, in the routine management of your diabetes one uh, does what is called a HbA1c, you know, a three-month glucose average. Mm. So besides what the person tests their blood sugar with, with their home blood glucose monitoring, uh, the HbA1c by and large also gives you a good guide as to whether you are controlled. And internationally, your level should be under 7% violence. That's a good guide. Uh, some, if you are, some will aim for a bit lower, depending whether you can achieve it safely. And in the older individual, you might uh, relax it a little bit. But that's, that's one test that needs to be done uh, to assess your control. Besides that, we will be doing things like uh, fasting uh, cholesterol profile. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing the test of kidney function, particularly because diabetes affects the kidney, but also because uh, they often have hypertension as well, which also can uh, impact on kidney function. So those are the sort of uh, basic blood tests that are generally done even routinely for the management of diabetes. Right. But you, you raise an issue about self-monitoring of blood glucose because mm. it's often uh, um, misunderstood that a finger prick done during a fast would break the fast and that's not true. Okay. Uh, so you can, uh, in fact, it's all the more reason to test more frequently in Ramadan because we know now that we are on medication, not eating for several hours. Right. There would be a tendency to drop your blood sugar or for it to fall during the day in the fasting hours mm-hmm. and of, of course rise sometime to high levels after, for example, uh, a, a rather heavy uh, iftar, for example. So clearly you need to monitor and generally not everyone needs to monitor freak, as frequently as as we call the seven-point plan. Right. Uh, the times to test are usually in the morning before you start your fast. We call that at suhoor time. Right. Uh, mid-morning uh, at around midday, right. middle of the afternoon. Next test is just before iftar. Now, that window in the last hour or so before iftar is when people are most vulnerable to a drop in blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important time to check also. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, two hours after uh, iftar, because that's when the spike in blood sugar occurs. Now, this is uh, a, a quite a hectic schedule, mm-hmm. so it doesn't apply to each individual to be testing so often. Mm-hmm. If you're a well-controlled, for example, type 2 diabetic on a drug, for example, let's give an example as metformin or glucophage. Mm-hmm. You're taking that drug, it has a low tendency to drop the blood sugar. So if you're on a single drug like that, you could test your sugar periodically, uh, maybe once or twice a day yeah. or less frequently, but at different times of the day. Okay. Compare that to an individual who's been on, for example, say, 
insulin injections twice or three or four times a day, then clearly that individual will have to test more frequently because their likelihood of going low uh, is much greater than other individuals. So it's all got to do with the type of diabetes you have and the quality of your control, which you should sort out now. But going into Ramadan, the, the the tendency of that agent to drop the blood sugar is a particularly important thing in terms of how frequently you should monitor. Okay, so you mentioned that we are uh, we are allowed to test the, the the blood sugar without breaking the fast, mm-hmm. and you did mention the certain times that you need to do it. Uh, what are the parameters for the patient? You know, like if the patient will test now, and supposing the sugar is uh, 2.1 or 1.5 or something like that, what are the parameters for them to say, okay, this is a red flag, yeah. uh, something is not right here, you know, what, what values? So very important point you are raising because I think a lot of individuals like to chance it okay. <laughs> because their blood sugars go below the level of normality and they still push along with the fast. Now that's a dangerous thing. Okay. But internationally, if your blood sugar drops to less than 3.9 at any part of the day, yeah. that is an indication to break the fast. Okay. okay. 3.9. 3.9 is the cutoff. Right. Now, you know, it's just where I pointed out earlier, person is an hour or so, hour and a half away from yeah. the break of the, you know, breaking of the fast, if that time, now they want to push it. That's dangerous because you can go into a hypoglycemic coma. Right. So, because you're not eating anything, so you, you're likely to plummet further. Mm-hmm. The other extreme is probably not as critical, but also important, and that is a high blood sugar. Right. And internationally, they use a cutoff for around 16, 16 and a half millimoles per liter. Now, mm-hmm. you may argue it depends when that level is mm-hmm. because if you are on that level in the middle of the morning, there's a likelihood that you may go lower as the day goes. Mm-hmm. So there you've got to be guided a lot by how symptomatic you are. Mm-hmm. Say you feel unwell, extremely thirsty, mm-hmm. you're passing a lot of urine, feeling weak, feeling dehydrated, then while there is an absolute cutoff which cause which uh, is defined as a cutoff to break the fast mm-hmm. it depends when it is happening mm-hmm. and you may be able to see what happens in the next hour or two provided you are otherwise totally asymptomatic okay. uh, but that's the sort of cutoff that we have right. at lower levels it doesn't mean you don't break your fast if you are sitting at say 12.5 but it depends on whether you're feeling unwell or not okay. and i think it's very important for people to understand that when your condition deteriorates mm-hmm. or it exacerbates mm-hmm. or you're finding that you are symptomatic or mm-hmm. otherwise you're feeling unwell then it and especially when it correlates with an abnormal level then that's an indication. So how would the patient be able to distinguish between the normal symptoms of fasting? You know, we feel tiredness, fatigue, myalgias, all those things. How would they be able to distinguish that it's because of the sugar instead of just the normal well, fasting? Well, it's very simple when it mm-hmm. comes to a low sugar. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there, it's not even whether you're symptomatic or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, you test your sugar, you may not feel it. As I said earlier, mm-hmm. some people are not aware of blood sugars that are dropping because right. of unawareness. But whatever the reason is, different people have different symptoms to indicate a low blood sugar. You know, right. people who describe hunger, others describe mm-hmm. palpitations, some describe sweating, mm-hmm. some describe tingling, some call it nausea. Different symptoms in different individuals. Mm-hmm. They, there's less debate about that. But when it comes to a higher sugar, yeah. again, you have to understand, if you've got a sugar of 10.8, for example, this is, this is a, and you're feeling unwell, you know that that level is unlikely to be producing your symptoms. I mean, nobody becomes symptomatic at that level. But if you've got a sugar of 19, and you are feeling drained, mm. then it's very likely that you are feeling those symptoms because you have a correlation with a high blood sugar at the same time. So, we, we, supposing a person goes through the whole day, they're checking the sugar, it's like around 4 or 5. After iftar, they check the sugar, about an hour later, it's up, up to about 15. Then do they, after tarawih, they check it, it's still sitting around 14 or something. So when do they decide whether they can fast the next day or not? So look, this is not uncommon that mm-hmm. two hours after a meal, mm-hmm. the sugar may be elevated. I think, I think that in itself you can correct because now you're not fasting, mm-hmm. you can increase your fluid intake. But it must tell you that there's something that you're doing as a patient that is not correct. Okay. Either you're having too much 
of food at iftar time or you are having too much of carbohydrates in terms of your macronutrient constitution of your meal or that the medication that you are taking at the time of iftar is not enough to cope for the meal that you are having. So what it tells you is that do something and adjust that schedule uh, so that you don't get those spikes uh, and after, especially going into Taraweeh, for example, you don't want to be going with a high blood sugar because that itself may, in fact, uh, impair your concentration during okay. Taraweeh. Right. Just a reminder to our listeners that you can WhatsApp us your questions on 0861 uh, Doc, we have a question here from uh, one of our listeners. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Doc. I would like to know what healthy food is best to consume at Seri time in order to keep me going throughout the day. However, is bananas good for energy? Please comment, Jazakallah. Uh, that's a very important point. Mm-hmm. When we alluded to earlier about, you know, the type of food at iftar, mm-hmm. etc. So, the, the, the issue is that you want to uh, have at uh, suhoor time or at you want to have something that gives you satiety, that makes you feel full for a longer period. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a simple carbohydrate, mm-hmm. you will find that it won't sustain you for the day. Okay. And that's where proteins, right, which whether you have an egg or you have some other form of protein, it's more likely to carry you for the day longer. And often we find that bananas, for example, mm-hmm. not only do they provide calories, but they also give a greater degree of satiety for the day. So, mm-hmm. not a bad idea. Many individuals actually have that at several times so that it gives them greater satiety during the day. Okay, we hope that answers your question. Um, there's another one here, 73 year old and suffers from burning feet. Uh, this, yeah, this is one of the signs of diabetes. Yeah, I think that okay, so I think that's a general that's question. Just um, mm-hmm. bear in mind that uh, that is uh, a may indicate mm-hmm. a diabetic peripheral neuropathy, mm-hmm. which is nerve damage from diabetes. But having mm-hmm. said that, one other deficiency that's very common that we must not overlook Mm. is vitamin B12 deficiency. Mm. Uh, As you grow older, you can get a condition called pernicious anemia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many an individual, especially the elderly who are on metformin, Mm -hmm. uh, they have an associated deficiency of uh, B12. So, whilst it may be due to peripheral neuropathy and there are many treatments for that, Mm -hmm. uh, always check the vitamin B12 because sometimes just the correction of vitamin B12 deficiency Mm -hmm. improves this burning feet that we have. Okay, uh, so just to uh, summarize there, the cutoff point if you are checking your sugar while you are fasting is 3.9 and uh, also to watch what you are eating during your iftar and uh, to check the sugar as well after iftar and what, what other lifestyle changes can you make, like you know, little things about uh, you know, that can help you. Like, like your water intake, yeah, sure. things like that, you know? Very important. In mm-hmm. that pre-Ramadan assessment, besides the restatification mm-hmm. and um, advice on how often to monitor and when to break the fast, is the advice on a, what we call a meal plan. Mm-hmm. You know, like you talk about earlier, di- distributing your calories equally between suhoor and iftar, mm-hmm. the type of foods that you have, avoid high sugar content foods, mm-hmm. uh, also, adequate fluid intake in the non-fasting period. Mm-hmm. You know, you often find nowadays mm-hmm. somewhat fashionable, but also correctly so. Many an individual, for example, going to Tarawi mm-hmm. carries with him a water bottle. Mm-hmm. So after every segment, two to four akkad, they are hydrating themselves because sometimes it's difficult in the window that you have before Tarawi to drink a lot because then you will have to go to pass urine right. uh, and then post Tarawi you don't have that number of hours where you can uh, um, sort of accommodate one to 1.5 liters or more of fluid so mm-hmm. the, the gradual uh, the sort of incremental fluid intake that you have during segments of Tarawi is a, is a very good idea to, right. to keep yourself hydrated so in a non-fasting period to try and make up for your fluid intake. Another thing to bear in mind also is exercise because exercise, uh, Ramadan is not the time to sharpen your soccer or cricketing <laughs> skills. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a time to maintain a healthy life, mm-hmm. to do uh, some, uh, graded, limited type of exercise 
recognizing that Taravi prayer itself is an exercise, a form of an exercise, but not for you to go to the point where you exercise to such an extent that you then compromise your ability to fast the next day. Okay. Okay, we're talking to Dr. Hussein Randri uh, regarding uh, what uh, preparations we need to make uh, to control our chronic diseases during Ramadan. Uh, we're going to go to a short break, but please stay with us. When we come back, we'll be discussing the other three uh, chronic diseases, which is your hypertension, your epilepsy, and asthma, inshallah. Shiraz Fitment Center now offers expert tire fitment to all vehicles. For all your vehicle tire requirements, wheel alignment and balancing, look no further than Shiraz Fitment Center. For your convenience, we offer a free tire safety inspection. Call 011-213-1100 and speak to our Fitment Center team today. Or visit us at the corner of Nirvana Drive and Protea Avenue, Lanasia. Shiraz Fitment Center, your one-stop tire fitment partner. Indeed, my Lord is the hearer of supplication. Attention listeners, Rescue 786 Ambulance Services has changed its numbers. The new numbers are 061-911-5786 or 060-8786-911. The most affordable ambulance service in the greater Johannesburg area. Health, fitness, trends, technology. This is a new age, and we're together through it all. Radio Islam International, the world is our community. Welcome back to Medical Files brought to you by the Islamic Medical Association of South Africa. you another welcome to all our listeners from uh, Radio Al Ansar, Channel Islam International, Radio Islam, Voice of the Cape, Radio 786, Sirius FM, and IFM. Uh, I'm your host, Dr. Arshad Bayat, and we are talking to Dr. Hussein Randali. Uh, Doc, we were talking about uh, diabetes. Uh, let's touch a little bit on the treatment types and what's best suited for, for Ramadan. Mm. Okay, so it just depends uh, on what the patient is currently on, but mm. remember that when we do that risk assessment, it doesn't mean that that's the final, you know, score that you have to give the individual. You could do a lot to stabilize the patient and change their risk score. Right. So it's a dynamic thing. Okay. But just very quickly, many patients are on metformin or glucophage. And right. that drug, as we know, as I pointed out earlier, does not drop the blood sugar below normal. So mm-hmm. you don't need to make much adjustments to a metformin. You could literally take what you normally take at breakfast and supper, and if you normally take a lunchtime dose, you just omit it. Okay. Often, a good uh, sort of dictum to use is that generally take the higher dose at iftar compared to say. So mm-hmm. if you're taking like 500 milligrams in the, mo- uh, in, uh, in the evening and a, a gram in the morning, you switch it switch around. It around. Put yeah. it. So okay. usually the mm-hmm. higher dose. And that's a principle that applies mm-hmm. to most diabetic medication. The other mm-hmm. uh, common category of drugs is what we call the sulfonylureas, which is mm-hmm. often people are on diglucide or glycolyzide MR. Right. Uh, the, this is usually taken either once a day and sometimes twice a day. Mm-hmm. Again, if the patient is on, for example, 60 milligrams in the morning and 30 in the evening, they take the higher dose at iftar time and mm-hmm. take the lower dose of 30 milligram in the morning. Okay. If they're on once a day dose, you just switch it to iftar time. Okay. Okay, so that's that. Right. Another third category that some people may be on, I'm going to use some names just for, because people may familiarize themselves with it, things like Galvus or Jalra or Genuvia. This is a group of drugs called the DPP-4 inhibitors. Okay. They are actually very safe for use in Ramadan. They don't drop the blood sugar below normal like sulfonylureas do. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need to make any dosage adjustments. You just continue what you normally do in Ramadan, mm-hmm. what you normally do out of Ramadan. Right. And then the last group of oral agents that I just want to mention, because many patients are now on this drug, is what we call the SGLT2 inhibitors. Mm-hmm. Many patients now are on Jardians and Foxiga okay. because of either kidney disease, heart failure, All right. or because they have... Uh, 
uh, other uh, indications for its use, but even if it's for diabetic control. I just mm-hmm. want to uh, a word of caution here. Mm-hmm. These drugs you should not start immediately before Ramadan. As mm-hmm. you know, they work by causing glucose excretion in the kidney, right. and there's a degree of dehydration that sets in. So you, you must allow the patient to acclimatize to the drug mm-hmm. several weeks before Ramadan. So it's two to four so weeks now. Too late now to start. No, no, it's, it's okay it's now. Okay to start yeah, it's now, okay. Right? Uh, but no, not under two weeks uh, minimum, I would say, before Ramadan to start. You've got to give between two to four weeks. Right. And, but the important thing is that those um, drugs, they also do not require dose adjustment mm-hmm. because they don't drop the blood sugar below normal. But it's recommended that you take it at iftar time. Okay. Right? Because of that glucose loss and with it that bit of water loss, some people pass a bit more urine, they feel a bit dehydrated. Okay. So the oral agents are very straightforward. Uh, except for the sulfonylurea group, not much dosage changes. Okay. So what, when you come to insulin, then it requires a little bit more adjustment. Okay. Uh, just an announcement to make that Isha has commenced for the Durban region and Azan will be at 9 p.m. inshallah. So, Doc, those that are on uh, insulin at the moment and uh, they're still finding that the sugar is not being controlled, uh, do they go to the doctor and... Uh, I mean, how, how do they go about it? How does the patient go about uh, adjusting their dosage yeah. and things like that? Yeah, so, so basically, mm-hmm. this depends what regimen they're on. Right. Some people are on just a bedtime insulin, we call right. it basal insulin, right. with oral agents. Mm-hmm. Of course, that if it's not producing the control, you may have to up the dose okay. of bedtime insulin, or you might have to intensify your regimen. Right. Sometimes you've got to add uh, uh, insulin, short-acting insulin, to the meals during the day. Sometimes you've got to change to a twice-daily injection. We call right. it the pre-mix insulin. So that's why it's very important to use this time now before Absolutely. Ramadan to, to test and see which and is and the best way regimen. And yeah. be stabilized and well-controlled leading into Ramadan, right. at which point you can then adopt right. the dosage changes that we can discuss in Ramadan. Okay. And uh, it's also important for all the doctors that are listening out there, all the GPs that are there, to be patient with uh, with this with our community when they come to you, because they are also looking for answers. And uh, sometimes the simple thing that we might find very easy to understand for them, it might take a little bit of explanation. So we should uh, practice patience, inshallah, and try our best to to help them and accommodate them. Inshallah. I think it's especially important because. It's almost like an ibadat. If That's right. It's correct. You, mm-hmm. if you are instrumental mm-hmm. in guiding an individual mm-hmm. to adjust their medication, to get them well controlled, and mm-hmm. so that they can then fast safely, mm-hmm. I think you have actually earned yourself some reward for mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. directing mm-hmm. an individual uh, towards uh, Ramadan fasting. Okay, we have one more question here. It says, Assalamu alaikum. My sugar levels are below 10 in the morning and evening. How much insulin should I take in Ramadan? Jazakallah. Okay, so under 10 is a little bit of an old-fashioned uh, mm-hmm. guide. It right. depends on the age and, and the targets, but we would mm-hmm. aim for somewhat better than uh, just under 10 right. uh, for control because that won't be ideal control. But of course, it depends what they are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are on, uh, for example, a twice-a-day insulin injection, we mm-hmm. call that the premixed insulin, mm-hmm. then in Ramadan, what you do? Firstly, I would tighten that control now right. and get it down to 6 and 7 or 6 to 8 now. Mm-hmm. Having done that, say you on, just give a, a theoretical example on, say, um, Novo Mix 30 mm-hmm. or Humalog Mix 25 mm-hmm. or Actrophane yeah. or one of those twice a day. So the, the recommendation is say you are on 20 units in the morning and 10 units in the evening mm-hmm. normally. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, take the 20 and put it at iftar time. Mm-hmm. Take the 10 and bring it at Switch it around. around. But if you're also on other drugs like metformin with the insulin, then perhaps you may not have to take the full 10 units that you normally take at supper at suhoor time. You might have to, you would even have to modify that a little. So that's where your point about that trial run, where, for example, in Shaban, the three uh, fasts that you can keep in the middle of Shaban is an ideal opportunity. Or even if you want to fast during Rajab, for example, you do those Nafil fast, test your strategy about what adjustments uh, have been recommended to you by your doctor, test it, and then feedback to the doctor and say, look, I did this, 
and I was okay. Or I did this, but my sugar did fall. Mm -hmm. So then you get an advice going into Ramadan on how further to adjust. So when you enter Ramadan, mm -hmm. you have a trouble-free Ramadan. Inshallah, yeah. Doc, let's talk about hypertension. Uh, we have a lot of our studies uh, out there who are on uh, antihypertensive, especially diuretics, almost all of them. And that can be a problem sometimes. So what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think the good part we must bear in mind is that Today we have a lot of drugs mm -hmm. uh, in terms of hypertension that are true 24-hour drugs. Mm -hmm. And so you, they are once-a-day drugs. So mm -hmm. they just simplify our treatment. Right. I, I'm, I don't see, an, uh, except in the complicated case with associated, for example, cardiac problems, you know, cardiac mm -hmm. failure, where you have a need for using uh, any antihypertensive uh, drug in this day and age mm. more than once or twice a day. Right. Okay, mm. so that's the, so you can take it at suhoor and at iftar. Okay. Having said that, you point out the diuretic part. Now, mm. some of those diuretics are mild diuretics. For mm. example, a low dose of a tyazide diuretic mm. or indapamide, you know, right. uh, that they yeah. use. Mm -hmm. Now, many a person will tell you they take that normally. Mm -hmm. and they don't really have an excess in urine right. they're quite comfortable I think a lot has to do with the climate in which you are fasting mm. and the type of work that you are, do, you are doing for example you fast for 20 hours in some parts of the world in a hot or humid climate mm -hmm. you definitely are going to feel a degree of dehydration right. but the general recommendation is to take the diuretic in the evening right. now also there you've got to be cautious mm -hmm. you take a diuretic after iftar you don't want to end up having to be disturbed from your Tarawih prayer. Right. So That's often we say, take it just after you come back from Tarawih, okay. so that even if there is a little bit of passage of urine that you need to go to uh, undertake at that time, yeah. it will suffice. The, 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 the problem arises when the individual has got more than just pure, simple, uncomplicated hypertension and or is a diuretic such as, say, Lasix or furosemide. Yeah. Now that has a greater potential for mm -hmm. causing excess urine and feeling dehydrated, then okay. almost certainly then that has to be taken in the evening. Okay, so take me for example, right? I had a heart attack about nine months ago okay. and I'm taking day six every day, 40 milligrams, right? Alhamdulillah, I don't have any spikes or anything in my blood pressure. Now, what do I look for and how do I go about seeing whether it is safe for me to fast uh, taking that day six every day? Yeah, well, prior to Ramadan, in the pre-Ramadan assessment, you will have basic bloods done, including right. renal function. And I think right. it's important to bear in mind that renal function does right. impact, particularly advanced stages of kidney disease, right. does impact on whether it's safe for an individual to fast or not. Because right. the more severe your kidney disease, the more vulnerable you are to right. dehydration and worsening of your kidney function. Right. Also, if you're diabetic, for example, you are more prone to get low blood glucose levels, as you know, as you get yeah. advancing kidney disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for you who, as an example, who's stable mm -hmm. on a single dose of Lasix, and again, one of the thoughts is, and that I might ask is, in the absence of heart failure, mm -hmm. after a heart attack, is there an absolute indication to be on Lasix? Because it's a relatively potent diuretic. Mm -hmm. But if you... If your practitioner or your specialist feels that yes, you need it to mm -hmm. keep you out of going into fluid overload mm -hmm. or becoming breathless or what, then by all means you could fast, mm -hmm. take the Lasix in the evening, and inshallah, uh, uh, uncomplicated hypertensive who's well controlled, mm -hmm. who's taking uh, the loop diuretic being Lasix mm -hmm. in itself is not a reason uh, to argue against fasting. Okay. Would it be wise to, if you are taking uh, 40 milligrams, to cut the dosage into 20, 20, uh, 20 in the morning, 20 at night, or just stick to the 40? I think it really doesn't matter, doesn't because matter. Um, whether you take it, there's also the risk that you take it in the morning, then you might feel a bit dehydrated during the day if you're having a lot of urine passage. But mm. at the end of the day, it, it just, you, and again, that's... What I would argue against mm -hmm. is modification of the therapy mm -hmm. as you enter Ramadan. Okay. So if you want to test the strategy, mm -hmm. then by all means do so in this period mm -hmm. or in a period that you undertake a Nafil fast in the next two months. Okay. Test the strategy. If it works for you, by all means you can switch. Uh, but don't do so, you know, just going into Ramadan. Okay. We're going to go to a short ad break again, but uh, please stay with us. When we do get back, we will be discussing the other two uh, very briefly, the asthma and the epilepsy, inshallah.
Solis Angler's Corner, your fishing tackle specialist. Rilam for line and sinker. Visit our branches in Johannesburg, Fourways, Rustenburg, Pretoria and Verenigen. Call 011-493-1848 or 011-493-1452. Radio Islam signed a code of conduct with the BCCSA. Under that code, we are committed to news that is accurate, comment that is fair, and programs that are not harmful to children. Does not amount to hate speech, the description of gratuitous violence, or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, inform the BCCSA. Direct any complaints in writing to BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Email bccsa at napsa.co.za. Please note our new address and telephone number. Block number 8, Burnside Island Office Park, 410 Jan Smarts Avenue, Craig Hall, 2196. Telephone number 011-326-3130. Fax number 011-326-3197. For more information, visit bccsa.co.za. Prophet despite growing up in the desert of Mecca, was very keen to plant trees and said, If the final hour comes while you have a shoot of a plant in your hands and it is possible to plant it before the hour comes, you should plant it. Let us preserve nature's reserve. Radio Islam International. Islam for yesterday. Today. I brought to you by the Islamic Medical Association of South Africa. Uh, if you have just joined us, uh, we are talking to Dr. Landry, a uh, physician, specialist endocrinologist from Parkland's Hospital. Uh, we've discussed uh, diabetes and we've discussed uh, briefly hypertension. Uh, there's also uh, asthma and epilepsy, which we're going to touch on. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners uh, that you can call in. I mean, you can send a message through to the studio at 0861-904-904, and inshallah we will uh, endeavor to answer that question. So, Doc, uh, asthma, easy to keep under control while fasting? Uh, so, again, mm. depends on how well controlled you are and the severity of your asthma. Mm. Again, there too we've been fortunate that there's been an evolution mm -hmm. in the management of asthma where we now have available many agents, combinations of uh, steroids and uh, beta stimulants, long-acting agents, mm -hmm. where you often can take these uh, inhalers because as we know if you take an inhaler during fasting that breaks the fast. Mm -hmm. So the dictum is still the same stabilize your asthma mm -hmm. and get onto a regimen if well controlled you often find that you on a good long-acting agent mm -hmm. twice a day you often find that you will min minimize the need for rescue therapy in mm -hmm. other words you won't need to take an inhaler during the day mm -hmm. so message is get in contact with your doctor go on to the medication appropriately. Mm -hmm. Over and above that, some patients may also need um, other drugs like Montelukast, uh, Monty Air. Uh, that is a, another agent that can be added on to stabilize your condition. Mm -hmm. But the main thing is to get them, get on to a regimen where your need for rescue or reliever mm -hmm. therapy is minimized. Of course, there are some severe asthmatics. Right. They are not only on this cocktail, uh, they need sometimes to be using the inhaler even on minimal exertion during the day. Uh -huh. uh, some are on steroids every day. Some need to nebulize because they are in an advanced stage. So those individuals clearly fall into the category where uh, they are exempted from fasting. But, okay. uh, but the, 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 the run of the mill asthmatic in this day and age mm -hmm. may well be able to fast if you just make those adjustments to treatment. So just taking the proper treatment they're supposed to be taking on time. And, yes, uh, and of course, mm -hmm. to, if there are precipitants mm -hmm. to asthma, mm -hmm. uh, to try and uh, make sure that you don't get uh, and, uh, you know, uh, expose yourself to them. Yeah. For example, some people may find that fizzy drinks accessibility. Mm -hmm. Others might find temperature changes, whatever it is, to try and avoid those uh, precipitants. Oh, yeah, like cold milk shakes and things absolutely, like that. Absolutely. Those things which, yeah, we tend to change our diet a little bit if that time. You know, have yeah. things we don't usually have. 
Right, and then uh, coming to epilepsy, uh, what are the, some of the dangers of uh, fasting during epilepsy? I mean, for yeah. a person who has epilepsy. Yeah. So, mm. I think uh, we know that many individuals uh, with epilepsy um, can, this day and age, also be very well controlled right. because we also got long-acting anti-epileptic drugs. Mm. I mean, so, but I think uh, Ramadan brings in it with it, uh, brings with it some challenges for the. Mm. Uh, epileptic. Right. Uh, we know that in some individuals, uh, uh, hot, humid climates or dehydration in particular, right. uh, more especially alteration in the sleep pattern, mm -hmm. uh, can actually be a trigger for epilepsy. Okay. So I think that in those individuals, they have to work around, uh, given their occupation and given what is possible for them, whether it's self-employed or not, to make those adjustments so that they don't. Uh, suffer uh, especially from sleep deprivation. Okay. I mean, the, the, the sleep patterns will change, of course, because of, uh, or the patterns of wakefulness and sleep will change mm. because of suhoor and because of tarawih, etc. But if you could, again, like we did with um, uh, the uh, asthma individual, mm. Mm. if you could make sure that you don't expose yourself to those very precipitant. I mean, right. we know that just light, the flickering of lights can trigger with some people. Right. Again, it's not that you can control your environment, but mm -hmm. you make sure that if you don't want to deteriorate during Ramadan, that you avoid exposing yourself, or if it's, for example, to regards to sleep, mm -hmm. that you get adequate amount of restful mm -hmm. sleep. Dehydration can also be a trigger. Absolutely. Dehydration, mm -hmm. uh, therefore, that fluid intake in the non-fasting hours, mm -hmm. ex avoiding um, exposure to this, uh, you know, unnecessarily, unless your work situation demands mm. working outside, uh, right. you know, in a hot climate, etc. So, so, so those things there. But once mm. you've, uh, apart from that, from a medical or a medication point of view, mm. I mean, we have so many slow-release preparations. Some are single daily, some are twice a day. At most, they are twice a day. Mm. And you, even if you're on combination therapy, Mm. Uh, you, uh, what you call, uh, can use that in the morning and evening. Mm -hmm. uh, again, very importantly, is that as we did with, uh, mm. for example, the diabetic who is prone to low sugars mm. or going to a, a kind of diabetic ketoacidosis, mm. if a person has got uncontrolled epilepsy, mm. i.e., going into Ramadan, they're getting multiple attacks. Now, that's falls into uh, that category. What, what period, like you say, once a week, once every two weeks, what way would the... I, I think there's, there be? isn't really a guideline, uh, mm. you know, to say, because unlike diabetes where the societies have sat down mm. and given a guideline on risk scoring, right. the cardiac society internationally has done something, but for the other societies, there isn't too much. Uh, a lot of it is a more personal opinion mm. uh, and experience Right. rather than uh, actual science behind recommendations. Mm -hmm. But I would say to you that even if you had epilepsy one, once or twice a week, mm -hmm. that calls for some degree of control. Right. Having said that, mm -hmm. if you are an individual who has epilepsy once or twice a week, mm -hmm. that really doesn't mean that you won't be able to fast. Because, I mean, you are going to deny yourself an entire month of fasting just because of an odd attack uh, once a week. So, my my view on that would be, yes, by all means, fast, but should at any stage, as I pointed out earlier, mm -hmm. your underlying condition yeah. be, becomes worse, mm -hmm. it deteriorates, you lose control, then it is very important that people take that step of stopping the fast for a few days, re-establishing their control, and then starting. Okay, Doc, we have a question here. Does taking of insulin nullify the fast? A very important point, mm -hmm. whether you take insulin intravenously mm -hmm. through the vein, intramuscularly, mm -hmm. or subcutaneously, which is yeah. the common mode oh, yeah. of administration mm -hmm. in the chronic, it does not break the fast. Okay. So therefore, if sometimes you want to have, uh, and that's where the importance of some of the newer insulin preparations, we call mm -hmm. them the analog insulins, they yeah. don't have to be given a half an hour before uh, a right. meal. So you could inject uh, before iftar, have your break your fast and then have your meal. Okay, I hope that answers the question there. There's another one here. It says, Assalamu alaikum. I'm on metformin and uh, glycoside morning and evening, as well as genovia in the evening. 
My blood sugars are controlled. I have an increased frequency of urination during the night. Why is this? Is there anything I can do to control this? Jazakallah. Okay, important point. She's mm-hmm. on three oral agents. We mm-hmm. discussed those categories. Yeah. You know the adjustment for the glycoside mm-hmm. will be the only thing necessary. Mm-hmm. And they'll probably move uh, the, keep the evening dose the same if necessary. Mm-hmm. And maybe reduce the, or omit the morning glycoside, depending okay. on whether they're on 30 or 60. Yeah. But uh, the free, this is also uh, underscores an important point. Mm-hmm. If your glucose is well controlled, yeah. then the cause of your frequent urination will also be under control uh, will also be under control so you cannot attribute Mm -hmm. that urination to uh, your diabetes Mm -hmm. because if you look at those drugs that person is not on that category of drug I call the SGLT2 inhibitor Mm -hmm. which is Foxiga or Jardians which can cause excess urine so in this individual you got to look outside of that and Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. early prostate trouble Mm -hmm. is the cause of or even kidney disease may be a cause of this what we call nocturia of waking up at night to pass urine. Okay. I, I would take one additional step and yeah. ensure that the person uh, limits their fluid intake you know in the last hour before they go to sleep because yeah. that may also be a, a very simple uh, method of trying to uh, uh, avoid having to get up at night. Right. Okay, we're almost at the end of the show now, Doc. Jazakallah uh, for all the input. Uh, what can, just to summarize in a nutshell, you know, just a few bullet points for the people to take home, inshallah. We can just. Okay, so look, we all look forward mm. to the upcoming Ramadan. Okay. And every Muslim throughout the world does so. Mm. How we are advised to prepare for the Ramadan spiritually, mm-hmm. by Surabhak so Salam saying, that you know, and he did so, increase the number of nafil fast mm-hmm. in the Rajab and Shaban, you know, so more than any other month mm-hmm. they have fasted. So, like you prepare and, 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 and ulama say and advise you that you increase your nafil prayers, you increase the lawat of the Quran, this mm-hmm. is all mm-hmm. so that when you enter Ramadan, you're in that groove of spirituality that mm-hmm. takes you. So, all this is spiritual preparation. Mm-hmm. In a similar way, for your medical conditions also, that's also calls for preparation. So mm-hmm. that's your physical preparation from the medical point of view. And that's where we've discussed a lot on the importance of trying to see your doctor now mm-hmm. to get your conditions well controlled, stabilized, make, uh, get the advice on adjustments, mm-hmm. do the trial run now so that inshallah when you enter Ramadan, mm-hmm. you will have a trouble-free and a spiritually rewarding Ramadan. Inshallah. Uh, Dr. Randri, I'd like to thank you very much for your very positive and helpful input. And inshallah, we will be seeing you again uh, around two or three weeks before Ramadan, inshallah. inshallah. Right. Uh, we've come to the end of the show, unfortunately. Uh, We'd like to thank all our listeners from the various uh, radio stations today. We've uh, got uh, our listeners from Al-Ansar, Channel Islam International, Radio Islam, Voice of the Cape, Radio 786, Sirius FM and IFM. Uh, I am your host, Dr. Arshad Bayat, and would like to thank you very much for taking the time to listen to us. We hope it has been of some help to you, inshallah. Uh, I'd like to also thank uh, my tech, Zakaria and uh, the Islamic Medical Association for making this possible and uh, Sophia. Okay, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.